European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 26. Focus Issue, Ischemic Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The Growing Complexity of the Number One Killer, Ischemic Heart Disease. This issue opens with the position paper entitled, Emergency Department Management of Patients with Adult Congenital Heart Disease a consensus paper from the ESC Working Group on Adult Congenital Heart Disease, the European Society for Emergency Medicine, or EUSEM, the European Association for Cardiothoracic Surgery, or EACTS, and the Association for Acute Cardiovascular Care, or ACVC. Authored by Massimo Chiesa from the IRCCS Policlinico San Donato in Milan, Italy, and colleagues. The authors note that adult congenital heart disease, or ACHD, patients represent a growing population with increasing use of acute emergency department, or ED, care. Providing comprehensive ED care necessitates an understanding of the most common clinical scenarios to improve morbidity and mortality in this population. The aim of this position paper is to provide a consensus regarding the management of the most common clinical scenarios of ACHD patients presenting to the ED. The issue continues with a focus on ischemic heart disease. Nearly 200 million people globally suffer from coronary artery disease, or CAD, half of whom initially present with chest pain. The optimal non-invasive diagnostic strategy for chest pain in patients with suspected stable disease is clinically important to define, yet remains uncertain. CAD is frequently diagnosed following evaluation of stable chest pain with anatomical or functional testing. A more granular understanding of patients' phenotypes that benefit from either strategy may enable personalized testing. In a clinical research article entitled The Phenomapping-Derived Tool to Personalize the Selection of Anatomical versus Functional Testing in Evaluating Chest Pain, or ASSIST, Evangelos Okonomo from Yale University School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, USA, and colleagues, looked in further detail into this issue. Using participant-level data from 9,572 patients undergoing anatomical, N equaling 4,734, versus functional, N equaling 4,838, testing in the PROMISE trial, the authors created a topological representation of the study population based on 57 pre-randomization variables. Within each patient's 5% topological neighborhood, Cox regression models provided individual patient-centered hazard ratios for major adverse cardiovascular events and revealed marked heterogeneity across the phenomap, suggestive of distinct phenotypic neighborhoods favoring anatomical or functional testing. Based on this risk phenomap, the authors employed an extreme gradient boosting algorithm in 80% of the PROMISE population to predict the personalized benefits of anatomical versus functional testing using 12 model-derived, routinely collected variables and created a decision support tool named ASSIST. In both the remaining 20% of PROMISE and an external validation set consisting of patients from the Scott Heart trial undergoing anatomical first versus functional first assessment, ASSIST's testing strategy recommendation 
was associated with a significantly lower incidence of each study's primary endpoint, P equaling 0.0024 and P being less than 0.0321 for interaction, respectively, as well as a harmonised endpoint of all-cause mortality or non-fatal myocardial infarction, or MI, P equaling 0.0309 and P being less than 0.0001 for interaction, respectively. Thus, Okonomo and colleagues propose a novel phenomapping-derived decision support tool to standardise the selection of anatomical versus functional imaging in the evaluation of stable chest pain, validated in two large and geographically diverse clinical trial populations. This manuscript is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by Pamela Douglas from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA. She notes that at each stage, Applying dedicated risk classification tools that can guide management decisions in proper sequence will improve patient care, starting with clinical risk algorithms, pooled cohort equations or equivalent, to assist in preventative treatment decisions, followed by the 2019 European Society of Cardiology pretest probability for CAD algorithm, the promised minimal risk tool to identify symptomatic patients who may not require immediate testing, and the ASSIST model to direct patients needing testing to anatomic versus functional testing. The Global Registry of Acute Coronary Events, or GRACE score, was developed to evaluate risk in patients with MI. The score applies clinical variables, the electrocardiogram, and cardiac biomarkers to estimate risk of future all-cause mortality and MI. The use of the GRACE 2.0 score in patients with non-ST segment elevation acute coronary syndrome has a class 1A recommendation for guiding prognosis and a 2A recommendation for guiding management across all international guidelines. In a clinical research article entitled, Performance of the GRACE 2.0 score in patients with type 1 and type 2 myocardial infarction, John Hong from the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom and colleagues Note that its performance in type 2 MI is uncertain. In two cohorts of consecutive patients with suspected acute coronary syndrome from 10 hospitals in Scotland and a tertiary care hospital in Sweden, including over 60,000 patients, the authors calculated the GRACE 2.0 score to estimate death at one year. Discrimination was evaluated by the area under the receiver operating curve, or AUC, and compared for those with an adjudicated diagnosis of type 1 and type 2 MI using DeLong's test. Type 1 MI was diagnosed in 4,981 or 10% and 1,080 or 5% of patients in Scotland and Sweden respectively. At one year, 720 or 15% and 112 or 10% of patients died with an AUC for the GRACE 2.0 score of 0.83 and 0.85. Type 2 MI occurred in 1,121 or 2% and 247% or 1% of patients in Scotland and Sweden respectively, with 258 or 23% and 57 also 23% deaths at one year. The AUC in Type 2 MI was 0.73 and 0.73, which was lower than for type 1 MI in both cohorts, P being less than 0.001 and 
and P equaling 0.008 respectively. The authors conclude that the GRACE 2.0 score provides a good discrimination for all-cause death at one year in patients with type 1 MI and moderate discrimination for those with type 2 MI. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial authored by Hector Bueno and colleagues from the Centro Nacionale de Investigaciones Cardiovasculares, or CNIC, in Madrid, Spain. Bueno et al. conclude that with the fourth universal definition of MI, or 4UDMI, we now have better tools for the diagnosis, prognostic assessment, and risk stratification of patients with troponin elevation, suspected ACS, and MI. However, more clinical research is warranted to validate the use of the classification provided by the 4UDMI in unselected patients, to assess its accuracy and reliability, and to evaluate its clinical implications. In addition, given the discordance between the predicted and observed mortality rates at one year found in the study by Hung et al., we need to wonder whether the GRACE 2.0 may need recalibration. The use of GLP-1 receptor antagonists, or RAs, as initial glucose-lowering therapy in type 2 diabetes, or T2DM, patients, with high-risk stroke-established cardiovascular disease, or CVD, is controversial since outcome trials on GLP-1 RAs had metformin as background therapy. In a clinical research article, Similar cardiovascular outcomes in patients with diabetes and established or high risk for coronary vascular disease treated with dulaglutide with and without baseline metformin. Julia Farranini from the Cardiovascular Institutet in Stockholm, Sweden and colleagues indicate that this post hoc analysis of the researching cardiovascular events with a weekly incretin in diabetes or rewind trial investigated the effects of dulaglutide on CVD events according to baseline metformin. In Rewind, about 10,000 T2DM patients, 31% with established CVD and 69% at high CV risk, were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to dulaglutide or placebo besides standard of care. The primary outcome was a composite of non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke and CVD stroke unknown death. Key secondary outcomes were microvascular composite endpoint, all-cause death, and heart failure. The effect of dulaglutide in patients with, or MET, or without, or no MET, baseline metformin, was evaluated by a Cox regression hazard model, further adjusted for factors differing at baseline between MET and no MET, identified using backward selection. Compared to MET, which was 81% of patients, no MET, which was 19%, were older, leaner, more often female, with prior CVD events, heart failure, and renal disease. The effect of dulaglutide on the primary outcome did not differ in these two groups, interaction P equaling 0.18. Findings for key secondary outcomes were similar. The authors conclude that their analysis suggests that the cardioprotective effect of dulaglutide is unaffected by the baseline use of metformin therapy. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Navid Sattar from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom and Darren Maguire from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, USA. 
The authors point out that with all new medicines, higher costs are in play, and so formal cost-effectiveness analysis would help determine levels of CV risk beyond which such drugs should be recommended. This latter point is far from trivial and was a key difference between the ESC and ADA-EASD T2D algorithms, with the former being far more liberal in its recommending expansion of the use of GLP-1RAs and or SGLT2Is. Indeed, if the ESC guidelines were to be followed as stated, a substantially higher percentage of patients in high-income countries would be commenced on such medications, leading to large hikes in drug expenditure. What is not known, however, is to what extent such extra costs would be offset by better disease outcomes. Thus, if further trials challenge metformin's primacy in wider groups of patients, it will lead to profound changes in T2DM therapeutic algorithms. The improvement in survival of operated patients with CHD, or congenital heart disease, has led to an increasing number of adult patients with CHD, or ACHD, in particular those with more complex disease. There is a general agreement that ACHD patients have special needs. In a clinical research article, long-term outcomes after myocardial infarction in middle-aged and older patients with congenital heart disease, a nationwide study. Maria Fedchenko from the University of Gothenburg in Sweden and colleagues sought to describe the risk of MI in middle-aged and older patients with ACHD and to evaluate the long-term outcomes after indexed MI in patients with ACHD compared with controls. A search of the Swedish National Patient Register identified 17,189 patients with ACHD, 52% male, and 180,131 age and sex-matched controls randomly selected from the general population who were born from 1930 to 1970 and were alive at 40 years of age, all followed up until December 2017, mean follow-ups 23 years. Patients with ACHD had a 1.6-fold higher risk of MI compared with controls, P being less than 0.001, and the cumulative incidence of MI by 65 years of age was 7.4% in patients with ACHD versus 4.4% in controls. Patients with ACHD had a 1.4-fold increased risk of experiencing a composite event after the index MI compared with controls, P being less than 0.001, driven largely by the occurrence of new-onset heart failure in 42% of patients with ACHD versus 29% of controls. The authors conclude that recognising and managing the modifiable cardiovascular risk factors should be of importance to reduce morbidity and mortality in patients with ACHD. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Gerhard Paul Diller and Stefan Orwart from the University Hospital Münster in Germany. The authors conclude that significant advances in the treatment of young patients with congenital heart defects have enabled many to survive into old age. However, it's important to emphasise the fact that these patients also have increased CV risk, which is determined not only by the classic risk factors, but also by little-known specific ACHD factors. Nevertheless, risk modification and a healthy lifestyle, including appropriate weight and nutrition, 
as well as physical exercise, must be recommended to all ACHD patients to avoid the detrimental impact on the CV system, particularly on the background of congenital heart disease, as highlighted by the current study. In a state-of-the-art review entitled Assessment and Pathophysiology of Microvascular Disease, Recent Progress and Clinical Implications, by Stefano Massi and colleagues from the University of Pisa in Italy. The development of novel non-invasive techniques and standardization of protocols to assess microvascular dysfunction have elucidated the key role of microvascular changes in the evolution of cardiovascular damage and their capacity to predict an increased risk of adverse events. These technical advances parallel with the development of novel biological assays and enable the ex vivo identification of pathways promoting microvascular dysfunction, providing novel potential treatment targets for preventing cerebral cardiovascular disease. In this manuscript, the authors provide an update of diagnostic testing strategies to detect and characterize microvascular dysfunction and suggestions on how to standardize and maximize the information obtained from each microvascular assay. They examined emerging data highlighting the significance of microvascular dysfunction in the development of cardiovascular disease manifestations. Finally, Massey and colleagues summarized the pathophysiology of microvascular dysfunction, emphasizing the role of oxidative stress and its regulation by epigenetic mechanisms which might represent potential targets for novel interventions beyond conventional approaches representing a new frontier in cardiovascular disease reduction. The issue is further complemented by discussion forum contributions related to the 2020 ESC guidelines for the management of acute coronary syndromes in patients presenting without persistent ST segment elevation. In a contribution entitled, Lessons learned from the new 2020 ESC guidelines on NSTE-ACS, when clinical judgment precedes and overpasses weak recommendations. Giuseppe Damiano Sana from the Susari University Hospital stresses the importance of critically interpreting the guidelines. In a contribution entitled, Prasugrel over Ticagrelor in non-ST elevation acute coronary syndromes. Is it justified? Tia Siang Kao from the International Medical University in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia and colleagues point out that they believe that ticagrelor should not be discarded as one of the antiplatelet options for patients with ACS presenting without persistent ST segment elevation in whom a decision is made to proceed with PCI. Professor Holger Fieler from the University of Leipzig in Germany and Professor Jean-Philippe Collet from the Sorbonne Université in Paris, France who chaired the guideline committee, respond in two separate comments. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.